9. Daniel 9. If you remember correctly, when we started, started our study in Daniel here a few weeks ago, we talked about how it's 12 chapters, but it really breaks up nicely, about how six chapters, really, or half the book of Daniel, I should say, is narrative, and the other half is prophecy. As we mentioned last week, Daniel 9 is a great example of this. The first 19 verses of Daniel 9 is all about Daniel's prayer. If you weren't with us last week, we did a study on that prayer and having the elements of praise and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, etc. What you have here tonight in verses 20 through 27 are really some of the most famous passages in the book of Daniel, which is really saying a lot. I mean, when the book of Daniel has the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it has the story of Daniel in the lion's den, to be able to say this is some of the more famous passages really show the weight of this. Verse 27 specifically of this chapter there I say, is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible when it comes to prophecy. Daniel 9.27 may be the cornerstone of prophecy when it comes to what's going to happen here in future events. So it's an amazing chapter. It's a lot of neat stuff here that's going on, and we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. Now, real quick, tonight's lesson deals with a lot of prophecy. We've got a few things here, verses 20 through 23, to talk about, but I'm just showing these points right here at the beginning. Always remember, if you look at these three points when it comes to prophecy, I have sometimes every now and then people come up to me and say, why do we spend so much time on prophecy? You know, if Jesus is going to return, the rapture is going to happen, and all this stuff is going to happen after the rapture, what difference does it make? Why can't we just trust that it's going to happen, we're not going to be here for it, and move on? Well, here's three things to that. First off, Jesus said it was important for us to know the times and seasons that we live in. He himself, in Matthew 24 and 25, gave a great two-chapter teaching on end times, which he quotes from Daniel chapter 9. So Jesus himself thought it was important to understand end times events, and he himself quotes from Daniel 9 that we're going to talk about here tonight. Here's the other two points we talk about this. When we know what the future holds, and we know that God's got it under control, that helps us to take care of us in the present. Therefore, once again, if I know that God is going to take care of everything in the future and through prophecy, then I don't have to worry about anything right now. I've shared with you many times before this uh, quirk I have where I, before I watch a movie, I always find out how the movie's going to end. I don't like the way the movie ends. I'm not going to spend my time watching it. I don't want to. Well, with prophecy, I know how the movie ends. I want to watch this movie. I like how it ends. So therefore, I study it, and as I study it, it gives me peace. I don't know how many times a day, and I mean that literally a day, either in our house and talking to the boys or just talking to people where we'll make a comment, you know what? The rapture may happen, and we don't even have to worry. And you know prophecy, you just know it, it may just end just like this. We don't have to worry. And the last point, since we know how all things ends, it spurs us on. If you have an unsaved loved one and friend, yes, it's really easy to say the rapture is going to happen and I just get to go, I'm home in heaven, and I don't have to worry about it. But if I have someone I care about deeply, it spurs me on to say, listen, I, I know what happens here. I know how bad this world's going to get in that seven-year tribulation, and I don't want you to go through it. It spurs us on to be a light and a witness. So there is our, if you will, application at the beginning. Now let's get through the rest of this here. Verse 20 of Daniel 9. It says, Now while I was sp speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, just a couple quick points on this, because we're actually going to get into this more next week. Daniel's praying for answers, and guess what? He gets his answer right away. Now, in Daniel chapter 10, he's praying for answers, and how long does he have to wait for his answer? Three weeks. Same God. One answer comes right away, the other one comes a few weeks. I know people that come up to me, and they're like, you know, I was really praying for wisdom, and the Lord just answered it, and amen. I know other people that have been praying months, if not years, for wisdom on situations. So here's one in Daniel 9 where the answered prayer happened 
immediately. Boy, if you get answered prayer immediately, thank God. I mean that literally. If you have to wait, well, next week is what we're going to get into with that. I wish all the prayers came swiftly as it does right here. But not all that time it happens. We'll get into next week while that happened. If you weren't with us last week, verse 20 is a great sum up of prayer. Now I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of people of Israel, my supplication, etc. What a great picture of prayer that is. There's a time of confession. There's a time of asking. There's talking to God. I really encourage you to get a copy of that and listen to that next week. Or, excuse me, last week. Verse 22. Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. This is important. We are incapable of finding out things about God and seeking wisdom on our own. I don't know how many times as believers, and I include myself in this, I always think, okay, God, I got this one. I look at verse 22. I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. If you reach a point where you're saying, like, I really don't need to pray about this, that's a danger zone. You know, I know this. As I study the Bible, I need to seek the Lord more and more because I don't get it. And when I'm looking for wisdom in life, I need to seek the Lord more and more to get it. And I look at verse 22. If Daniel needed help in interpreting, boy, how much more do we need help just getting through our daily lives? So just a couple quick little points there. Now, let's find out about this prophecy. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up Excuse me, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Let's stop right there. This is our outline for what we're going to talk about. We're talking about a phrase of 70 weeks. Now, that word for week literally means a period of seven. So you may say, how do we get the determination of what that period is? We're going to look at this, and the way we teach and what we believe is that 70 weeks literally refers to 490 years. Now, you may say, well, how do you get that determination of years? When you look in the context of the chapter and you look at the prophecies that happen, the only way it works is for it to be literally 490 years. We look at the word week, and we just assume seven days. Well, that word week is the way we take it in English. and the Hebrew, that word week just means a period of seven. So it means a period of seven years. So we're going to talk about 490 years of prophecy. Now, six things are going to happen in this 70 weeks. Look at verse 24. We broke them down here in your sheet. The transgression is going to be finished. Make an end of sins. Make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. These are the six things that are going to happen prophetically. Now, a lot of these have already been taken care of. Look at the first one. Finish the transgression, make an end of sins, and make reconciliation for iniquity. Jesus took care of all those on the cross. Amen. Those are all done. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, we don't have everlasting righteousness until we're with Jesus in eternity. Seal up the vision and prophecy. That word seal up literally means all prophecies and visions come to an end. Well, that's not going to happen until all prophecies are fulfilled. And lastly, anoint the Most High, Jesus glorified for all of eternity. So what you have here in these 70 weeks is everything that Christ did on the cross and everything that's going to happen after that tribulation period taking us into eternity. So this little prophecy here that really only goes on for four verses covers everything we need to know. It all comes down to this phrase, 70 weeks. Now, go to verse 25, please. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. But the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of war desolations are determined. So what he's really saying here is, if you look at the bottom of your sheet, these 70 weeks are divided into three sections. We have a group of seven, we have a group of 62, and then we have a group of one. 
And it tells us exactly what it's going to be. The first seven weeks, which spans 49 years, that prophecy starts in Nehemiah chapter 2, which you see there in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. That's what happened in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. They sent Nehemiah back to start rebuilding Jerusalem. The first group of prophecy took 49 years. Now from the time Jerusalem was done and rebuilt, and when did that end? According to verse 25, it ended when the streets were all built and the walls were all built. Some of your translations say moats. When Jerusalem was completely done, not just the temple, not just the walls, but when Jerusalem as a city was completely rebuilt, which took 49 years, then we know it's 434 years from that point to the time that Jesus died on the cross. Now, this is it, and I'll be honest with you, people a whole lot smarter than me have went and figured this out with leap years and changes in calendar dates from Jewish to Roman, etc. They figured it out, and guess what? It worked out perfect. It worked out perfectly. That's why when Jesus was going into Jerusalem, he could say to Jerusalem, if you only knew the time. Because this shouldn't have been a shock to anybody. Because if anybody would have went and figured this out, they would have known exactly when all this stuff would have happened. And so there were 62 weeks from the end of the construction of Jerusalem to the death of Jesus. Now, if you look at the back of your sheets, I found this great little chart online on Bible.org. And, and you can see how it all comes together right there, where Daniel's prophecy happened, where the 600, where the 69 weeks happened. And you can see all that stuff that we're talking about. Now, just real quick, some people believe, if you look there at the date, some people have AD 33 for when Jesus died on the cross. There's two ways to figure this out, and both of them work. One calendar, one way takes you to A.D. 33. The other calendar, the other way takes you to A.D. 32. Some of you may have studied this out and said, well, the date that I looked at one time that someone said was A.D. 32, one date was A.D. 33. Both of them work perfectly fine into the calendar here of prophecy on how it works. The thing about this is, this is how detailed this prophecy is. I mean, it's exactly right. We're 434 years from the end of the construction of Jerusalem to literally the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's unbelievable. And this is something that God said. This is exactly What's going to happen? Which brings us back to our points at the beginning of the lesson. If we believe this stuff is true, if we believe the Lord guided Daniel to write this nearly 500 years before it happened, then whatever I'm facing in Northwest Ohio, God is able to get me through. Because if he can do this, he can do anything. So let's just stop for a second, and let me see. Has anybody got any quick questions, comments here? Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It is absolute fasting. In fact, I saw one guy did a study on this, and he literally figured out to the day, and it was like 173,000 days or something like that, how it all came down and true. And we talked about this with prophecy a few weeks ago. This is the difference between biblical prophecy and other quote-unquote prophecy that you see. God has nothing to hide here. He knows exactly what's going to happen. So he can lay out this prophetic timeline perfectly. For a lot of times when you see other prophecies, it's so vague. You know, sometime in the future, something will happen. Of course, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, God's coming out here and writing now and saying, listen, I got 490 weeks of prophecy to talk, excuse me, 490 years of prophecy to talk about. 749 years is going to do this, 434 years are going to do this, and it's just amazing how it all comes together. It's a beautiful thing. It really is an amazing chapter. Anybody else have anything about this before we move on? Well, simple math. 62 weeks and 7 weeks equals 69 weeks, which means we're still dealing with one final 7-year chunk. And that's what we have to talk about here. Now, as you flip your sheets over, just a couple other little quick points that we need to talk about. Look at the detail of this prophecy. So, we know what happens here. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2, until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So, verse 26, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. We already talked about that. That's when Jesus died on the cross. Not for himself, but look at this. The people of the Prince who is to come. Now, who are the people of the Prince who is to come? 
The prince that is to come is the Antichrist. We've already studied out in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is, is ruler over this revived kind of Roman empire, if you will. So look in verse 26. The people of the prince who is to come, which would be Rome, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's exactly what happened in 70 AD. If you know history there, Titus the Roman general came in and destroyed Jerusalem. This was prophesied nearly 500 years before it happened, that that's exactly what happened, is that the Romans would come in, destroy the city, and also destroy the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Now, obviously, Jerusalem did not get hit with a flood, but if you remember history, what happened is in the temple, there was gold interlaid in between the bricks, so what the Romans did is literally took the sanctuary apart brick by brick and melted it down to get every drop of gold they could. So what happened to the temple is it was literally taken apart brick by brick, which looks like what? A flood hit it. That's exactly what God would say would happen. Look at the detail here that's given in this prophecy. Now, what you have between the 69th week and the 70th week, the 69 weeks ended when Jesus died on the cross. And now we've been waiting. We've got this one-week period, seven-year period, sitting in our back pocket, which is the tribulation. So we're in this big blank time, if you will. People call it different things. Some people call it the age of grace. Some people call it the church age, the time of the Gentiles. Whatever it is, it's this waiting period. Now, we're in this waiting period right now for the 70th week of prophecy to start happening. And that's where we're at. And it's this big grasp this long time. Well, what happens when it hits? Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Verse 27 of Daniel 9 is one of the most quoted verses in all prophecy. He there is referring to who? The Antichrist. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. For a seven-year period he will confirm a covenant with many. Most people believe that this is a covenant with the world and Israel, yet either a peace accord, and you know if you were with us here uh, Sunday night, we had the representative from Chosen People Ministries comes out, and I, and I found it interesting when he was talking about some of the peace things they're trying to do over in Israel. I did not know this, that when the Oslo Accord, that they were supposed to take out that wording there where the nation said they promised to destroy Israel, and they never did. There's always this fake peace over in Israel, and it's never going to last until Jesus actually comes and rules and reigns. But what happens here is the Antichrist in verse 27, he does this peace treaty, this fake peace. Now, we know this is probably going to be with Israel and the world. Now, how do we know that? Well, there's this passage in the book of Ezekiel that says that one time in the future, Israel will be a city of unwalled villages. Now, I've never been to Israel, but I was talking to uh, Gabby there a little bit about stuff. And obviously, I've talked to people that are in Israel. Right now, Israel is one of the most fortified, protected countries in the world. The idea of Jerusalem being an unwalled city, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That only can happen in the future when Israel feels that they are at peace enough that they can let their defenses down. Now, that's not happening any time in the near future here. That's why this Antichrist needs to come in, make this fake peace treaty where all of a sudden Israel says, ah, we trust this guy. We can finally let down our defenses and be an unwalled city. So when that happens, this is what's doing it. Verse 27 is the Antichrist that does it. But it says that the middle of the week, so three and a half years into the tribulation, he does this thing called the abomination of desolation. This is where the temple has been rebuilt. He goes into the temple. We don't know for sure what he does. It looks like, according to Scripture, that he puts a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies, and then he reveals to the Jews, I'm God, worship me. He tries to take the worship away. So that happens three and a half years into the tribulation, which he does that thing called the abomination of desolation. You can look at the reference there we put in Matthew 24. That's what Jesus called it. All this stuff is already prophetically laid out. No surprises, no shocks. Now, 
this verse 27, this prophecy was given what? About 2,500 years ago. And God still knows what he's doing. And it goes back to our first point. If God knew what he was doing 2,500 years ago, he still knows what he's doing now. We can trust him. We can see the big picture here. So this Daniel 9 tells us everything we need to know about prophecy, what's going to be coming up, and how we can be prepared and ready for it. And it's an amazing chapter here. Now, I got some final thoughts that we're going to share, but anytime we start getting into tribulation, rapture, second coming, antichrist, I know that always leads to some questions there, et cetera. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that? John. We, we know from the, in studying in the book of Revelation that when the Antichrist goes into the temple and he does this abomination of desolation, that's where the Jews' eyes are opened, and it's at that middle part of the tribulation that the Jews then flee into the wilderness and that they're protected divinely by God for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Yeah, that's when their eyes are open to really know. Anybody else have anything here about end times prophecy or anything here in Daniel chapter 9, anything we talked about? All right, let's put these final thoughts together here. Now, if you look at the bottom of your sheet, like I said, there's a nice little uh, chart that we found online here. You can see how this all comes together. The first 69 weeks, which represents 483 years, ends us with the death of Christ on the cross. Now, we know from studying this out that, once again, if you jump back to verse 26, it's at that time also, at 70 A.D., is when the Romans come and destroy the temple, which was prophesied completely there in verse 26. We're in this process right now, once again, called the church age. Age of grace, time of the Gentiles. The reason it's called the church age is because well, we're the church. So we're the ones dominating right now, if you will. Now, we're, we're really just a blip on the radar screen because God is still the God of the Jews. We've got to remember this. And, and as we always like to say out here, you know, it's, it's when the Jews come to know Christ, that's when the party really starts. We've got to keep that in the back of our mind. You know, so this is a time right now where the gospel message is going out to the Gentiles, and amen to that. But really what matters most is when the Jews truly get who their Messiah is. So that's why it's called the church age. Some people call it the age of grace because we're walking in the grace of Christ. Some people call it the time of the Gentiles because, well, the Gentiles are dominant if you will, in spiritual matters here. It's not that Israel is forgotten, no way. It's Israel is almost off to the side here because God is dealing with us Gentiles. Jews still come to know Christ. They're still Messianic Jews, but it's not until the rapture happens, which takes us all up to heaven that are in the church. It's not really until that time that God starts dealing with the nation of Israel again. You can look in your charts there. Rapture happens. We're now in the seven-year tribulation, which is the 70th week. Remember back on your first front page of the sheets, we talked about how those 70 weeks were divided into three categories. We had the seven weeks, that was the time to rebuild Jerusalem, and we had the uh, 62 weeks, which was the time there from the time they rebuilt Jerusalem to when Jesus died on the cross. And then we have this last week of seven years of prophecy. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ returns, Revelation 19, second coming, Satan is thrown into Hades, um, and also the uh, false prophet Antichrist are then judged. Jesus literally rules and reigns for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the millennial reign of Christ, there's something called the Great White Throne Gent, where all non-believers are judged. And after that, we get to go to, as they say here, the eternal state, which is heaven. If you look on the front page here again, this is those all those six things that we've been waiting to happen. They all happen there in eternity there. Transgressions and sins are finished and ended. Iniquity is taken care of. We have everlasting righteousness in Jesus. All prophecies are fulfilled, and the Most Holy, who is Jesus, is glorified for all eternity in heaven and this is everything that's going to happen so once again we know all this stuff we can sit here and say it's great to know it knowledge means nothing unless we go out and do something with it when we did our study in revelation not that long ago i think we ended almost every revelation study with saying it's great to know all this stuff but unless we take this information and let it spur us on to go be lights and witnesses to the world what good does it do i've met many people that have a whole lot of head knowledge and especially a whole lot of head knowledge when it comes to end time events 
but it never impacts how they live and never impacts on who they speak to. This is given to us to say this spurs us on to be a light and a witness, and also it brings us peace in the middle of the storm as we know how the movie ends. So a lot of good stuff here in Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27, and I hope it blessed you there. Now next week in Daniel chapter 10, I love Daniel chapter 10 because it gives us a heavenly scene that we never see. In the heavenly scene of this battle going on up in heaven, and I hope you get a chance to take a look at that, and I hope you get a chance to be a part of that. So, any final questions, comments here over anything that we talked about in Daniel chapter 9 tonight? Any final prophecy things, or anything along that type of thing? Yeah, right. I, I think he understood, and I think the reason I think he understood is if you look at verses 22 and 23, you know, Gabriel is saying, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand, and then in verse 23, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. So I think he did walk away with understanding of it. I think the difference, though, is with this compared to some of the other stuff that we covered, um, and this is just my personal opinion, take it or leave it, maybe this stuff doesn't hit home as much. I don't know. Maybe this is a little more exciting. See, when I read verses 24 through 27, if anything, I walk away with an excitement, not an overwhelmed. If I was in Daniel's position, I would think, wow. Jerusalem's going to get rebuilt. Wow, the Messiah is going to come and take care of sin. And then, wow, we get to go you know, through eternity. I think there would almost be an excitement. That's my personal. But it is interesting that in this chapter, we're not given a hint into how Daniel responded to this. Or in other chapters, we get that response of, I fainted, I was sick, or something like that. But in this chapter, we don't get any of that response. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Maybe more of it. Maybe Daniel now, who's in his early 80s, is saying, okay, can I be done with prophecy? <laughs> can I, can I, come on, I've been, I've been in Babylon for 60 years. Can I just go home now? <laughs> Maybe he's just ready to be done. I don't know. So, um, But yeah, it is kind of interesting that we don't see the response, which my personal opinion on that too is more of the emphasis in Daniel 9 is not necessarily his response. It's his heart that was prepared to finally hear it. And if you look, part of the reason why he was given the answer, if you read what Gabriel says, is because of, look at verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out... And and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. I think more of the emphasis in Daniel 9 is look at his heart, how he was prepared to hear it. He was, had this great prayer of confession and repentance, etc. That was, to me, to me, is maybe a little bit more of the emphasis of it. So I thought I saw another hand up over here, so maybe I was just making that up. Anybody else have any other final questions, comments here before we close up? Alrighty, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, it's great to know this stuff. But, Lord, help, it to, help us to have that impact us in all that we want to say. But what truly matters are souls getting saved. And just pray, Lord, that you would help us to take this information to spur us on to be a light and a witness for you. We pray that your spirit would go before us, preparing hearts, softening hearts, and then giving us the wisdom on what to say, how to say it, when to say it. Go before us in all ways and all things. We say thank you for revealing the end to us. So that way we can walk as we praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.